This morning we're going to continue our series uh, called Encounter Jesus, and we're going to be in John chapter 21, John chapter 21. Here on the podium, I have in my hand a book uh, that someone gave me a few years ago. It's called Ordering Your Private World. I don't know how many of you have ever seen this book or read this book. It's by a man named uh, Gordon MacDonald. And if you know anything about this guy, uh, Gordon MacDonald in the 1980s was actually one of the leading Christian speakers, authors, really well-known pastor uh, who was doing all kinds of amazing ministry. Uh, in fact, he went from one church into a publishing job, into a ministry leadership job, and really just transformed a lot of organizations through his leadership and through his teaching. A lot of people uh, shared his beliefs, they admired his style, and they read his books like this one. He seemed to relish the crowds, and yet he had just a striking ability to relate to individuals uh, and really had a gift for that. You know, this was a contrast to uh, most of the 1980s when if you if you were around then, and I was just a kid in the 80s, uh, but there were a lot of flashy, money-loving TV evangelists, uh, people who were really all about themselves and later came to be known as, as frauds. And so McDonald was like a shining light in the midst of all those folks with bad names and bad reputations. And like I said, he wrote several best-selling books, including this one, Ordering Your Private World. But then in 1987, his private world actually fell apart uh, because he himself uh, was unable to restrain his lust and uh, fell into an adulterous affair. Uh, one in a long list of many Christian leaders who have fallen in this way. And, uh, you know, um, he rose quickly to fame and then he plunged just as quickly. Uh, overnight, he lost his job, he lost his reputation and almost lost his marriage. So why am I telling you about Gordon McDonald this morning? Uh, the answer is this. His story is one of restoration. In fact, if you know anything about him, he spent a lot of years in repentance and recovery. His wife uh, was able to forgive him uh, through the love of Christ. Uh, their marriage was restored. Uh, and God actually restored him to a position where he was actually able to speak on this very topic, the gospel and restoration. And what a powerful testimony he has. I've actually heard him speak in person. He actually wrote another version of this book later in life called Reordering Your Private World. But his life is a testimony of God's ability to restore someone who has failed, someone who has sinned, someone who has fallen. You know, McDonald often, even to this day, frequently points to the story of David and Bathsheba and others in Scripture to speak of people who have fallen and yet God wants to restore. Because this is something we want to realize this morning. As we encounter Jesus through his word this morning, we serve a God, we follow a God, we trust a God who loves to restore people, restore broken people. And that's good news for us because everyone in this room is a broken person. You may not have done the things Gordon MacDonald has done or that David and Bathsheba did or, or those things, but all of us are broken people. And Jesus tells us in our text this morning that he is ready, willing, and able to restore anyone who has fallen. This morning, we're going to look at this extraordinary text, uh, John chapter 21. And this is the story of how Jesus restores Peter, one of the 12 disciples. Uh, you know, prior to Jesus's crucifixion, you might have looked at his ministry and said, wow, he's got 12 really dedicated guys following him. Uh, the leader of them kind of seems to be this kind of boisterous guy named Peter, uh, who's always on the edge, kind of doing crazy things. And then Jesus comes to this moment of crucifixion. And one of his 12 disciples 
actually betrays him, accepts money so that he can be crucified. Another one of his disciples, this guy Peter, we're going to talk about this morning, actually denies him three times in his moment of greatest need. So you could look at that and say, what kind of leader is this Jesus? Everything's just falling apart on him. What we want to see this morning, as we've seen over the last few weeks, is that he is the most amazing leader, not just the most amazing leader. He is the king, our savior, and he delights to restore people. Over the last couple of weeks, here's what we've looked at. Uh, we looked at how uh, he calls us to walk with him. Like we saw in Luke 24, we saw how he calls us to believe in him, encounter him by believing in him. Last week, we saw how he encountered us, encounters us by asking us to be healed by him, not just physically, but spiritually, to be healed, forgiven. And then this week, uh, he says, I want you to be restored. We're going to look at this story of Peter in John chapter 21. We serve a God who delights to give second chances, who loves to welcome you back with open arms even if you have failed. No matter how far you've fallen away from him, he offers you restoration, healing, and hope. And he invites you to come back to him, to return to him, and follow him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at this text. So we're going to start in John chapter 21. Uh, But before we do, I want to pray one more time. And my prayer is this, that we would encounter Jesus this morning through his words. Encounter him uh, as the one who restores broken people. And remember that and turn to him wherever it is that we need restoration. So will you bow with me in prayer? God, I thank you that you are here in this place by the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we would encounter your son, Jesus Christ, this morning through your word. Uh, Lord, we would recognize him as the one who offers us restoration. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you will, if you're in your Bibles, uh, look at John chapter 21. We're going to read the first section of this text. This text is really divided into three sections. Uh, and so if you have your bulletin or if you're online and you can access the bulletin, uh, take a look at these three sections. And we're going to look at what Jesus tells us about what it means to be restored and what we can learn about someone who is restored uh, in these sections. So look at verses 1 through 14. It says this. After this, meaning after the resurrection, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who was called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And then just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. So he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he pulled the net ashore, 
full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And then Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And so also with the fish. Now, this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. John 21 verses 1 through 14. What I love about this is really throughout the book of John from chapter 1 all the way here to the last chapter in the book, John 21, is it's a story of Jesus revealing himself to the disciples, showing them what kind of person he is, what kind of savior he is. And the message that comes through strongly and clearly in this text is that he is a God, he is a savior who wants to restore his people. When you think about Peter, And it's the specific interaction that he's about to have with Jesus. We'll see this in the next section of our text. But who is Peter and what's going on here? His last interaction with Jesus before the crucifixion and resurrection was his denial. Where he said, Lord, I will never deny you. And then he denies Jesus three times. And so what we see here in this text is Jesus' public, open, willing statement of saying, I am willing to restore you. And I want to restore you. You know, this this text, this story that we read, it really paints, again, another vivid picture. And this is what I love about this series. We've been in this series for four weeks. This is our final week in the series. Of Each week we see really a, a graphic visual visual picture, a beautiful picture of what it looks like for us to encounter Jesus. And this morning, uh, as you think about this, some of the things that you see in the story, right... A beautiful sunrise, it says, as day was breaking. You can just imagine these disciples on the Sea of Galilee. The sun's coming up. They're tired from fishing. And they see someone on the shore with a little fire burning. They can smell the fish cooking, I'm sure. Uh, If you think about that, uh, as a matter of fact, I think what we have here in Scripture is a good biblical precedent for men's breakfast, right? Uh, This is where it all started. Jesus met with his disciples on the beach. What we're doing, guys, is biblical once a month, okay? Uh, but you can just see this picture of a man on the beach waiting for these fishermen to come in. And then the conversation that they have with him. But I think these first 14 verses really give us a lesson in what it means to be restored. What a restored person does. And just like uh, Peter has done his whole life, just like we need to do our whole life, we need to learn what it means to be restored. And the first point I think this text makes is that a restored person will learn to obey Jesus, okay? This little section of the text where Jesus is on the shore and the disciples are out in the boat, I think really drives that point home, that God calls us to obey his son, to obey Jesus. And a restored person, someone who's seeking to be restored after they've fallen, uh, needs to recognize their call to obey Jesus. We see Jesus calling Peter to obey him throughout this text, Uh, Just like he did throughout Peter's whole life or his whole years that he spent with him. So let's just walk through these verses a little bit. And I think you'll be able to see uh, what the text is doing right here. And so if you start uh, right there in in the first couple verses, verse 2, it lists off seven disciples. Okay, so Peter's there with six others. There's seven of them. They're kind of hanging out. Remember, Jesus has already appeared to them once. And now they're just kind of waiting to see what he says. Remember, he said, I will appear to you in Galilee. So they're here by the Sea of Galilee kind of waiting for the next thing. We don't know how many days after the resurrection it was. It just says after this. 
So they've been waiting, and uh, you know, Peter's one of these guys that doesn't like to sit still. You can kind of just imagine him uh, sitting there. It's been one day, uh, now two days. We're just waiting. Guys, what are we going to do? Uh, and finally, one night, he just says, I, that's it. I'm going fishing. Tired of waiting. And so he goes out to fish, and the others all say, we're going to go with you. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is a lot of scholars, when you read this passage, and you think about the whole part of Peter's life, Remember what he did before Jesus called him? He was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. And Jesus came to him while he was in his boat and he said, leave your nets, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And so for Peter to go back and say, I'm going to start fishing again, a lot of scholars interpret this as him saying, uh, maybe I just need to go back to what I was doing before and kind of forget that whole three years I spent with Jesus. We don't know. We can't read too much into it. But the way that Jesus talks to him kind of leads us to believe that perhaps he was saying, I'm just going to go back to what I know, what's natural to me, and uh, and just move on with life. So that's what he's doing. He's out there fishing all night. We will go with you. They said they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, you know, a lot of fishermen, when they go out to fish, they never want to admit that they caught nothing, right? I don't know many many people, if you ask them, how many did you catch? They'll be like, eh, not too many. Not very many people ever tell you, I didn't catch a thing, okay? We're ashamed to admit that. That's what's happening here. You know, this story, I think, is, again, relatable to where we live, right? Guys going out to fish, you hope you're going to catch something, uh, and, and that's, what the, that's what they're doing. Verse 4, it says that there, as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was him. This is that same thing that happens throughout the Gospels, right? People see Jesus or they see that person and they don't recognize who he is. Last week we saw that happen where the religious leaders were trying to figure out who this leader was. Uh, two weeks ago we talked about Nicodemus. And here he came to Jesus and said, we know you're a great teacher, but who really are you? People are not recognizing who Jesus is. Now here, it's probably because they were too far away and they just didn't really see who he was. And yet the way John tells us this story is that, again, Jesus wants to reveal himself to them so they recognize fully who he is. So they didn't recognize him until he says to them in verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, there's a lot of lessons kind of going on in here. John is a master storyteller, and God inspired him to tell this story in such a way. But remember, Jesus told his disciples, you will be fishers of men. And one of the things we're seeing here, even as as he's kind of reminding them of that fact, is that you can't catch any fish unless God gives them to you. Until you go where I tell you to go, until you obey what I tell you to do, you won't catch any fish. And that's true of these literal fish. But it's even more true when we go to be fishers of men, fishers of men and women. We will not catch a thing unless we're doing what God tells us to do and going where God tells us to go. So then in verse 7, finally they recognize him because they realize that's the Lord. There's only one person who's ever done this before, and it's Jesus, who knows where the fish are, who can put us on them. I love verse 8. It says, the other just, uh, let's see, verse 7 When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Now, this is not the first time Peter's jumped out of a boat, right, to go see Jesus. 
We saw him walking on water. He's just this impetuous guy who just does whatever he feels like doing. Full of feeling, full of uh, excitement. And so he's so excited here that here's Jesus again. He just jumps in the water and swims to shore. Which is kind of funny, right? Because the boat wasn't very far off the shore. Uh, and yet he was so excited he just had to get to Jesus. So when they get to the land, uh, verse 9, they see a charcoal fire in place. There's already fish there. And then Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Verse 11, Simon Peter goes back aboard and hauls the whole net ashore. Love that picture. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. What's the deal with 153 fish? You know, some people have said, is there a symbolic number there? What's going on? Um, and really, I think what's going on here is that's just an eyewitness account. They counted it specifically and would you believe we caught 153 fish that day? Large fish. Now, I know some of you like to tell fishing stories. You know, we caught four boxes of fish that day or whatever you might say. Uh, but Jesus says to them, bring that ashore. And then verse 12, come and have breakfast or come and eat is really the literal translation. Come and eat. Did you know this is actually one of three invitations that Jesus, or that is given in the book of John? The first one's not actually given by Jesus, but uh, in chapter 1, verse 39, uh, Nathaniel says, come and see. Come and see. 737, Jesus says, come and drink. Come and drink. I'm the living water. Come and drink. And here he says to the disciples, come and eat. So throughout these first 12, 14 verses, what do we see? Jesus is giving instructions. The disciples follow his instructions. And God does great things. So just like Jesus has been telling Peter his whole time with Jesus, follow my word, follow my instructions, and I will do great things through you. Obey me. He's showing him here that even after you're restored, you are still called to follow him. A restored person learns to obey Jesus because he's our Savior. You know, throughout this text, there's a couple of flashbacks that I think Peter would have seen. Again, it paints a vivid picture for us, but if you can imagine all the things that would be triggered in Peter's memory as this little breakfast meeting is going down. Just a couple of them. Uh, Flipping your Bibles over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm sure as Peter was out there fishing... Before Jesus even showed up, he would have remembered that time he met Jesus. That first time he met Jesus. So Luke 5, I actually want to read this section. This is when Jesus called Peter. It says this, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So he's sitting in Simon Peter's boat in this story. A little bit later, and when he finished speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. He's kind of saying, Jesus, um, don't mean to be rude here, but I'm the fisherman. And uh, we already did it. We did it the right way. We didn't catch anything. So I don't know what you're talking about. But, but then he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. 
But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. So isn't it amazing that parallel story? All the way back at the beginning of of Peter's time with Jesus, when he first met him, almost the exact same event happened. And again, he was reminded from day one that when Jesus tells you to do something, you should do it. You know, a lot of times when we think about obedience and we think about how Peter obeyed Jesus and how we're called to obey Jesus, uh, a lot of times we don't want to obey him and it's not because we don't understand his commandments, right? His commandments, most of them are very clear as far as what he wants us to do or what he wants us to avoid. A lot of times the reason we have trouble obeying them is because we want something else. We think we might have a better way. And yet Jesus tells us time after time, the way that I instruct you, the things I tell you to do, obey me and I will do great things. So Peter's already learned to obey the king there with his calling. Think about Another miracle that occurs in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. You have to think this would have crossed Peter's mind here on the beach with Jesus, right? Jesus has bread. He breaks the bread. He breaks the fish and distributes it to them, just like he did in John chapter 6, when he took five loaves and two fish and miraculously multiplied it uh, so that others would do it. Again, that, that event, that story, was a lot about the disciples obeying Jesus. Remember, he says, now take your baskets, go collect everything that's left over. And they're amazed at what Jesus has done. So by feeding the 5,000 with bread and fish, they again were able to obey him. Peter's already learned this lesson. John 6, verse 68, flip there in your Bibles. So this is earlier in the book of John. This is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. And that whole event kind of concludes with this verse. Jesus gives a discourse and he talks about how he is the bread of life. Uh, and how we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And in this verse, uh, he says to Peter, John 6, verse 68, verse 67, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Because a lot of people said, we can't follow this person. And what does Peter say? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So thinking back on all those things, that was one of those moments of clarity in Peter's life where he recognized exactly who Jesus was. And through his obedience, he saw Jesus do great work. But there's one more flashback that I'm sure Peter would have had, and we've already referenced it. Uh, Did you know, if you look uh, back here in John 21... We're looking at these verses. It says, Jesus was on the shore with a charcoal fire burning. You know, the only other place in in John where that word, that charcoal fire is used is back when Jesus was in the courtyard uh, as Jesus was under under trial. Look at uh, back at chapter 18, uh, verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. So he denied Jesus the first time. Verse 18, 
John 18, 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. So when Peter comes ashore, all this flashes back before his eyes. The last time I saw a charcoal fire was back when I denied Jesus. What happens? Look ahead in John 18, verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by the fire. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Two times he denied Jesus. And then look at verses 26 and 27. Then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. He denied Jesus three times. So what we see here in this event on the beach, where Jesus is having breakfast with Peter and the other disciples, it's all these flashbacks that Peter would have been thinking about. All these lessons he's learned in the past. And yet here is Jesus, the one he denied three times, saying, come and eat with me. Share a meal with me. I want to restore you as my friend and as my follower. You know, Jesus says, I want to restore you. Be restored by me. You know, Luke twenty two sixty two tells us after Peter denied Jesus that third time, he went out and he wept bitterly. You know, this whole calling that Jesus gives to us, if he's restored you, if you are in the process of being restored or you've been restored in the past, Jesus says, I call you to obey me. There's a a part of us that if you're struggling, let's say you've fallen away from Christ, you're struggling with some sort of sin, some sort of struggle, there's a temptation to say, I've already fallen. I might as well forget all the things that Jesus told me to do. I've already gone my own way. Let me go my own way even further. I think about, here's an illustration for you of what this looks like. All right, we have a golden retriever dog. She's about two years old. Her name's Heidi. I remember when she was a puppy, we went through all the pain of training that dog, okay? So one day, uh, Sarah brought a bunch of groceries in the house and set them down, and then she took off to go pick up the kids from school or something. Well, she didn't realize that I think one of the kids had left the back door cracked open. And so, uh, and you can just imagine what that puppy did. She probably stuck her nose in first and then backed off. See, we had trained her not to come in the house without us being there. Stuck her nose in again and smelled that food. So she pushed her way into the room. Uh, and sure enough, when Sarah got home, the groceries were just shredded all over the floor. Okay. But it wasn't enough for the dog to shred the groceries. She probably said, ah, oh, forget it. I've already done that. She went upstairs and shredded a, a pillow or something as well, you know. How often do we do that same thing? We say, I'm already fallen. I've already sinned today. I might as well just make a day of it. What I think we see with Jesus saying here to Peter is that even though you've fallen, even though you've walked away from me, I'm calling you to come back and obey me. If I've restored you, you are called once again to obey me. Because in me are the words of life and the way of life. When Jesus asks you to do something, do it. Obey him. Like I said, we have that temptation to think that if I've failed, I might as well just go my own way. Jesus says, don't do that. Come back to me. Be restored. Be forgiven. And then obey me. So a restored person learns, first of all, to obey Jesus. But then Jesus reminds Peter, you're also called to love him. 
Look at these verses, verses 15 through 17. But before we read those, you realize that Jesus has probably, almost certainly, already met privately with Peter before this breakfast. How do we know that? If you go back to uh, Luke 24, 24. Uh, this is actually something we saw in our first week in this series. Uh, the, the two disciples come back from Emmaus and they meet with the disciples and they say, good news, we just saw Jesus. And the disciples in Jerusalem say, good news, we saw him too. And he's already met with Peter. So Jesus has had a meeting with Peter. And yet he wants to publicly restore him in this place on the beach. He's already probably restored him privately. We don't know the content of that meeting. We're not told what Jesus said to him personally. But we see what he says to him now in a public restoration. John 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, a restored person learns to love Jesus all over again. You know why we can do that? It's because Jesus loves you even if you failed. He asks you to return, repent, turn away from whatever it is you were chasing, turn away from that denial you may have given Jesus, and return to him and love him. Jesus says, do you love me more than these in verse 15? And are we talking about, is Jesus saying, do you love me more than these boats and these fish? Maybe, but probably not. He said, do you love me more than you love these friends? Possibly. But we think the most likely thing that Jesus is talking about here is he's saying to Peter in front of all the friends, Peter, do you love me more than all these other guys love me? Because if you remember back to earlier in Peter's life, Peter said, Jesus, even if all these men fall away from you, I will never fall away from you. He says that a couple of times. And then what we have is... Of course, he denies Jesus three times. One of the beautiful parts of John 21 is that three times Peter denied Jesus and three times Peter is allowed to express his love to Jesus. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Three times and restores him all three times. You know, the challenge that we see in this uh, when he says to them, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. This is a challenge to anyone who's an elder here in this church, an elder or pastor. And actually it goes to everyone else too, but particularly to elders and pastors. You know why? Because elders and pastors in scripture are called shepherds. And so when Jesus says this to Peter, he says, you are a shepherd of my people. And he says, the best thing you can do, the most important thing you can do is love Jesus. And then you will be able to love his people. So the first thing he says to Peter is, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Now, go and feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. That really applies to any believer. Love God first. And then you will be able to overflow with his love to others. Whoever God's put in your life. We love because he first loved us. 
So we have to experience that love. We have to embrace that love by faith. And then we can share it with others. And so if you've never experienced that, I would encourage you to do that now. But what we see in this passage where Jesus is saying, here's what it looks like to love me. In a large part, he's saying it looks like loving others. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. You notice the image changes from a fisherman. Remember, Jesus told them, you will be fishers of men, fishers of people. Now he's saying, you will be my shepherds. In other words, don't just catch the fish and let them die on the beach. Catch them and take care of them. Tend them like a sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. Psalm 23 says, a shepherd restores my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. Jesus restores those who've fallen away from him. All we have to do is turn back to him in faith, and he welcomes you with loving arms. Because you are restored, then, Jesus says, love my people, love my sheep. Feed them. As we know from elsewhere in in Jesus' teaching, man shall not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so he tells his followers, feed my sheep, give them what they need to know me, nourish them from God's word. Introduce them to the Savior who loves them, who will restore them and forgive them, and make them his followers. We think about this again, this idea of being restored by Jesus. No matter how many times you failed, no matter how you failed, we talked about Gordon MacDonald, there's plenty of other examples of that. Failed marriages, failed uh, friendships, disobedience, ways you've disobeyed God harmed your relationships with others. Jesus says, you can be restored by me. Why? Because he loves us. He says, embrace my love by faith, repent, turn from your sins, and I will restore you. No matter what you've done, like Peter, you can know that Jesus still loves you and offers you a way to follow him. Overflow with his love to others. Jesus says, if you love me, care for others. That brings us to the final point this morning, and that is uh, that as a restored person will learn to follow Jesus. Uh, remember, these are some of Jesus' first words to his disciples. He says, come follow me. Uh, look at these verses, uh, verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show but what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he had said to him, follow me. What's going on in those verses? In verses 18 and 19, basically when he tells Peter, you're going to stretch out your hands, that's a reference to crucifixion. Okay, He's going to stretch out his hands in the same way that Jesus stretched out his hands. And so church history, we don't have this in scripture, but church history tells us that Peter actually was sentenced to death by crucifixion. And at the point of his crucifixion, he said, I don't want to, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Christ was. And so uh, we are told that he was actually crucified upside down. Uh, now, again, that's all tradition. We don't have that from scripture. But what we do have in scripture is Jesus saying that you're going to die in this way. And so Peter actually in the next couple of verses says, well, he turns and looks at one of the other disciples and says, well, what about him? Is he going to die like that? Look at what Jesus says uh, in verse 22. If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
Jesus says, no matter how you're going to die, no matter what your life holds, the important thing is that you follow me. I'm giving you another chance to follow me, Peter. And he says the same thing to us. You see, when you settle that matter of death and you know that Jesus is going to be with you and take care of you no matter how you die, then it's possible to live wholeheartedly and to serve wholeheartedly. How far will you follow Jesus? Peter says, Jesus tells Peter, follow me to your death. Follow me to your death. And if you think about who you're following, remember, you're following a Savior who's already been there and done that. He's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already experienced. And when he says, follow me, even if it costs you pain, even if it costs you death, he says, that's what it means to know me and love me. Do what I ask you to do. Follow me in obedience. Follow me by loving me and loving my people. And follow me even unto death, no matter what it may cost you. I want to read the last verse of John chapter 21. This is actually the last verse uh, in the book of John. And if you think about this, Jesus wants you to encounter him daily. That's the point of this whole series. It's that you encountered him maybe the first time when you placed your faith in him. But he says, I want to meet with you every single day. And I want to keep changing your life and restoring you every step of the way. John 21 verse 25 says this. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. See, Jesus wants to encounter you every day. And when you respond to this by walking with him, as we saw the first week, when you respond by believing in him, when you respond by being healed and forgiven by him, when you respond by being restored by him after you fall, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message of restoration this morning. God, we thank you for the beautiful picture of how you restored Peter on the beach that, that morning. And God, we thank you that you offer the same forgiveness, the same restoration, and the same path forward to each of us, God. And Lord, I pray for every individual here, Lord, if they've fallen or stumbled, uh, God, that they would return to you and know that you will restore them fully and that you will love them. Uh, to the end of their days. God, I pray that we would place our trust in you, not in ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now please stand and receive this benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now and forevermore. Amen. You are dismissed.